John's Gospel, chapter 8, words of Jesus as he's teaching the people, addressing some of the Jews who believed in him, and making claims about himself and what he offers in terms of freedom for people. So we're going to read verses 31 through 47, but we're going to be thinking about verse 36. So John 8, verse 31, To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now am here. I have not come on my own, but He sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is the word of the Lord. As a country, we've always thought of ourselves as a promoter and defender of freedom. Millions of people come here longing to be free. That's what the pilgrims longed for originally, freedom from religious persecution. And many people come to this country still hoping to be freer than where they came from. There's a, an inscription on the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. It says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Freedom is one of the core values of this country. It's something that we believe is the God-given right of every person regardless of the country they live in. And it's our hope and prayer for everyone, especially people who live under communism or the brutal rule of a dictator. But when we say that word freedom, most of the time we 
are talking about political freedom. Freedom to speak, freedom to worship, freedom to assemble, to do these things without any government interference. But just as our country offers people freedom, political freedom, Jesus offers spiritual freedom. And spiritual freedom has value not just for this life, but for the life to come. The wonderful thing about spiritual freedom is it doesn't depend on political freedom. There's many people today who live in countries where they are politically oppressed and repressed in various ways, but they are free in Christ. And then there's many who live in free countries like our own who don't have freedom in Jesus. Jesus says in our text, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what's the freedom that Jesus is talking about? That's what I'd like to explore with you tonight. There's several facets of it, all of which are found only in Jesus. The first and most basic is freedom from deception. Jesus sets us free from deception. Deception is a very sneaky thing. Because there are many people who think they're free, who think they see clearly, who think they know and understand things, but they really don't. They're spiritually blind and hopelessly lost. To use the words of Scripture, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They don't have the ability to see clearly what is spiritual truth. This is what Acts 28 is referring to. Why don't we read this out loud together? Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. This passage isn't talking about physical ability to see or hear. It's talking about the ability to discern what is spiritually true. There's a lot of people in our world today. They're very intelligent. They're very sophisticated. They may have a lot of power and influence, but when it comes to spiritual things, they're very ignorant. They maybe don't believe in God, or even worse, they're proud of their atheism, which is true ignorance. They don't have a clue about sin, what sin is, how it affects them. They have no idea how to become free from sin. They don't know anything about eternity. They really don't know why they're here or what the purpose of life is. And these people, in some instances, are our neighbors, our co-workers, sometimes even family members. So what do we do about this? Well, if we have the heart of Jesus, we do what Jesus did. In Luke 4, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Recovery of sight for the blind. Spiritually, he's talking about there, and physically, but both. Jesus helped spiritually blind people to see. 
He wasn't successful with everyone. A lot of the Jewish leaders never believed in him, but some did, like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And so our ministry is like Jesus' ministry. Our prayer is that God will open people's spiritual eyes to understand spiritual reality for what it is. That He'll soften hardened hearts. That He'll reveal Himself to people in ways that they can understand and receive so that they can know Him, abide in Him, and share Him with others. That's one of the most basic ways that Jesus gives us freedom. He helps us to see clearly what is spiritual reality. So we know there's a God. We know He's a God of love. We know that He sent Jesus... He's so much full of love. He sent His one and only Son to bear our price for sin on the cross so we could be free and have life and be active members in His kingdom. But before we start to feel spiritually superior to everyone, I think it's important to understand that it's not just people who are far from God who are deceived. We all struggle with deception. That's true. And we need to pray that God gives us the ability too to see clearly, to understand clearly, to guide us into His truth because there are many, many lies that we as believers can also believe in. Satan is the father of lies and he is very good at deceiving people, even God's people. So, let me list for you some common lies and see if any of them you see if you recognize any of them. So, one of the lies is you can acquire money and things and that will bring you lasting happiness. Or, an attractive body and personality will get you what you want. Gratifying sexual lust will bring lasting satisfaction, some think. Some believe that we can sin without any negative consequences. Or that people who refuse to accept Jesus go to heaven anyway. Or that you can read, see, listen to anything and not be corrupted by it. Or that you have to gain the approval of certain people in order to be happy. Or that you have to measure up to certain standards to feel good about yourself. All of those things are lies. But... How many of those don't you tend to believe sometimes? Some of them snag me. To live in deception is to live in bondage. Jesus says in John 16, verse 13, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. And then in our text, He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's a three-step process to deal with sin and deception that I want to share with you and want to practice with you to help us learn how to deal with sin and deception in our own lives. The first step is to renounce it. Renounce and rebuke any sin or evil that we identify in our lives. Say it out loud if you have to so the spiritual realm hears it loud and clear that you reject that lie and you reject it entirely. The second step is to repent. To repent of it. 
to turn away from it. Not just tell God you're sorry, but to confess it to the Lord as sin and to turn away from it, not going back again. And the third step is to ask God to forgive you and to fill you with the opposite. So let's say one of the devil's lies that you tend to believe some days is that you can read, see, or listen to anything and not be corrupted by it. There's all sorts of garbage out in our culture today that a lot of people take in. So, you'd pray a prayer something like this. Lord, I renounce this deception of thinking that I can read, see, or look at anything and not be corrupted by it. I pray that you'll make me uncomfortable the next time I'm exposed to something I shouldn't be. I repent of this sin. I confess it to you as sin. And commit from now on, I will be more discerning about what I let into my mind. And I want you, Lord, to fill my mind with what is true and right and noble and pure and admirable and praiseworthy so that I think about those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus came to set us free from being deceived by these common lies and sins in our culture. Jesus came to set us free from sin we would say. And that's one of the most basic concepts in Christianity. We're all pretty familiar with that. It's what we remembered this morning as we celebrated the Lord's Supper, that Jesus came and His death and resurrection offer us a sacrifice for sin, our sin, so we're forgiven and we're made right with God because of what He's done. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Catechism reminds us, God requires that His justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of His justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or another. We looked at that a little bit last week. And we saw how there have been people, God's own people, who have rejected God's way to be set free from sin, walked in their own ways, and then received the punishment, God's justice for sin in their lives. But we've been set free from the penalty of sin. That's the good news of the Gospel. Paul describes it like this in Romans 8. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We cannot be condemned because we are in Christ Jesus when we are believers. This is the part we understand. The freedom we have in Christ is not just freedom from the penalty for sin, though. It's being free from the power of sin. Jesus frees us from the power of sin. Lots of Christians understand that we can be forgiven, but they don't know how to be free from the power of sin in their lives. So rather than living a victorious Christian life, they live in despair and guilt and hopelessness because there are sins that they cannot manage or control. They live in bondage and have spiritual strongholds they've never been taught how to deal with. So if you're one of those people or you know someone like that, 
I want you to understand that Jesus gives us freedom over the power of sin. In the words of Lord's Day 1, Jesus has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. But it's not something we do on our own. Our natural self thinks, well, if we just try harder to live out God's ways, to walk in His ways, we'll be successful. Well, you're never going to be successful by trying harder alone. It has to be through God's help. Look at these Scripture passages with me. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Let's read these together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And then 1 Corinthians 15. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then one more verse. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the Bible's advice for overcoming the power of sin is not just to try harder, but to submit ourselves to God and to trust and rely on His power and His authority that can be at work in us. So maybe you have trouble controlling your anger. Lots of people do. Or maybe you think impure thoughts. Or you can't control your tongue. Or you suffer from low self-esteem. You can walk through that three-step process and pray it multiple times if you have to. So you renounce the sinful habit or pattern in your life. You ask God to help you hate it just like He does. You repent and turn away from it and put into place things that will keep you from going back. And you ask God to forgive you and fill you with the opposite of what that is. Because Jesus came to set people free. And our text says, if the Son sets us free, we will be free indeed. So let's just use an example. Let's use the example of pride. Jesus sets us free from the sin of pride. The sin of pride is one of the more insidious of sins. It's very sneaky because we can be proud without knowing it. It almost has to be pointed out to us because we tend not to see it in ourselves. So let me list for you some symptoms of pride and see if you recognize any of them. A proud person wants my will instead of God's will. A proud person relies on our own strength and understanding instead of God's. A proud person finds it hard to admit when they're wrong. Or we're more concerned with pleasing people than God. We consider our needs more important than other people's. We think ill of people who are from a different race or a lower class. And we don't think our sins are as bad as the sins of other people. Any of those you recognize? Let's use the words of Scripture to address uh, this sin of pride. Paul's words from Philippians 2. Let's read these together. this word together. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. We should have the attitude of Jesus who said, Father, not my will, yours be done. 
So if pride is an issue for you, and it's usually an issue for almost everyone at some level, then we would pray this prayer out loud. Let's just all pray this prayer together. Lord, we renounce the sin of pride. We acknowledge that it is sin, and we want nothing to do with it. We repent of any pride in our hearts. We confess it to you, and we turn from it. Lord God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the humility of your Son, Jesus. Find ways to humble us and to keep us humble, so that we might better reflect your heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And then we do our best, with God's help, to live free from the sin of pride. Jesus sets us free from the sin of pride. Another sin that can be common among church people, among everybody really, is the sin of unforgiveness. 2 Corinthians 2 says, If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And one of Satan's schemes that this verse is referring to is a stronghold that he builds in our hearts and lives when we refuse to forgive somebody. Someone hurts us, you immediately feel like you want to hurt them back, you want them to hurt like you hurt, you feel vengeful thoughts, you want to see them get what they deserve. All of that is very common, very natural, sinful heart kind of stuff. But it's that bitter and vengeful attitude that ends up hurting us more than it hurts the person who hurt us. They're oblivious, maybe, to what they said or did, and yet you ponder on it, you think about it, you lay awake at night hoping they get what's due them, you have revenge fantasies, and they are continuing to hurt you by your lack of forgiveness. So, we need to forgive. Forgiveness isn't saying that what they said or did was good or okay. It's just saying, God, you be the judge. I'm going to give this person to you. I'm going to cut myself from their bondage to me and my tie to them based on what they said or did. And I'm going to just let you judge them because God always does the right thing. And I'm going to be free from this. I'm just going to forgive. That's forgiveness. Romans 12 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. When it comes to not forgiving people, the stakes are pretty high. This is what Jesus said, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So it's pretty important that we forgive people when they sin against us. We don't want to live with anger and bitterness and vengeance and hurt in our heart we're the person who's going to hurt. So we renounce it, we repent of it, 
We turn away from it. We give that person to God and we invite God to give us His peace and His forgiveness and His healing in place of the hurt. Freedom is a precious thing. We feel sorry for those who aren't free, politically speaking. We should feel even more sorry for people who are not spiritually free, who may live in the freest country on earth, but live in bondage every day to deception, to lies, to sin. They just, they just don't know any better. They're being deceived. Jesus came to set us free. Free from spiritual deception and lies. Free from sin and the tyranny of sin. And free from the power of sin in our lives. I hope that you know and have experienced the freedom that Jesus has come to bring. Don't live in bondage in your life. Don't get tied to hurt when someone hurts you in some way. I've shared some tools with you that you can use to set yourself free from some of those lies and that bondage. Let the Son set you free, and you will be free indeed. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank You for what You've done for us. We so easily live life in a defeated way. We believe lies and deceptions of the evil one and they can get us into trouble. Or we get connected to someone because of a way they've hurt us. Or we deal with a, a struggle with some kind of sin or bondage. Lord Jesus, You have all power and all authority in the universe. You've come that we might live free from these things. So, Holy Spirit, continue to lead and teach us and guide us. Don't allow us to continue to live in bondage to these things, but allow us to experience the true freedom that we have in and through You. In Your name we pray. Amen.